Hello and welcome to The Stack. On today's show, Sloft, a French design title specialized in small spaces. Plus, Monaco's Marcus Hippie travels to Beirut and meets interesting publishers. Enjoy the show. From Midori Housing, London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with Sloft, a fantastic French title dedicated to small spaces between 15 and 70 square meters. I came across the title when I saw a Sloft in the stunning kiosk in front of Le Bon Marché in Paris. It's a refreshing look at smaller properties, in a way that we are living today in cities. I spoke with Grégoire Rababou, co-founder and CEO of Sloft, and Jean Desports, business partner and editor-in-chief for the title. Sloft uh, focuses on, you know, like small uh, dwellings, small apartments, in a way to give ideas and inspiration to all uh, people who are not living in uh, big mansions or in, in big penthouses. And I think most people don't live in, in such, a, you know, magnificent uh, uh, dwellings. So, in fact, the idea of Sloft was just to interest ourselves to places where most of people live in. And it's so true because, I mean, I love design magazines and, you know, sometimes it's beautiful to see a mansion, you get inspiration, but sometimes you want something a bit practical. Say, you know, I myself, I live in, a, I believe, 45 to 50 square meters and I say, well, how can I use the space? And I think a magazine like yours, and it seems to be hitting, a, you know, a chord with, with, with your buyers. Tell us about more, Greg, since, since the magazine has been released, how has been the reaction as well? Not only in France, I know you have some international uh, readers too. So the magazine you're referring to is our printed magazine. Uh, so it's the printed editorial of stuff. We also have, a, obviously, a digital editorial, uh, which is, uh, you know, of course, wider and, and reaches a wider audience. But the printed magazine, so we've already launched three issues. The first issue came out in December 2021. And they are sold actually worldwide. So you can buy them on our eShop, but you can also buy them in New York, in Los Angeles, in London, in Milan, Tokyo, Seoul. So it's sold uh, everywhere in, in most of the big cities around the world. And the magazine itself is bilingual. So it's French and English. And I find this is a great idea because, as I said, I haven't seen many magazines like this. And Jean, do you think it reflects the way we live now? Because it is true. I mean, properties, not only in the big cities, but they are it is becoming smaller. There's a little bit more scarcity of space. So this is kind of a reflection as well about the way we live, right? Uh, sure. In fact, uh, as we're becoming uh, more numerous on this planet, uh, in fact, we're getting uh, more and more numerous in big cities. So the purpose of, of Sloft is also to give an answer to this question because cities are a good solution to house uh, more and more people and to avoid, you know, uh, constructing houses uh, all over the countryside uh, because countryside now has to be dedicated to feeding people. So how do we live more numerous in, in cities? And also it is linked to the way we live now because in fact the family structure has changed 
because sometimes of uh, divorces, etc., etc. And while you were living in big apartments with all the family, now sometimes you uh, switch to two smaller apartments. So it is a way also to uh, interest ourselves and to give solution to all this new kind of living. So in an ecological uh, point of view and also in a practical point of view. And, and because also there is uh, another uh, trend, which is the increase of, of, the, of the real estate uh, costs. And so now it costs you more and more money just, just to house yourself in a city. So you can't afford as much space as you could uh, do uh, before. And so how do you still have convenient places well done, nice, but optimized. And that is also the purpose of uh, Surf Magazine. And now I have a question for both of you. I mean, don't worry, you don't need to reveal me your uh, full address. But when was the, did you always have this connection with design or that's the first venture for both of you? And I wonder as well if the type of apartment you live, it's also that something that could potentially be featured uh, at Loft. And by the way, Paris is one of my favorite cities. I know there's incredible apartments there as well. Yes, I've got a kind of, of connection with the creative industry uh, as I started my career as a copywriter in an advertising agency. And at that time, you know, because I was a, a young professional, I couldn't afford my, my own apartment. So I was sharing a house with friends of, of, of mine. But uh, then I, I, I had a new job, a bit more well, uh, more well paid. And so I could afford my own apartment, but it was not a big apartment. It was a 50 square apartment. And because I was uh, working in the, the creative industry, I wanted to do things nice because I was surrounded by art directors, et cetera, et cetera. And so because I was not a designer or an architect, I, I wanted to get some inspiration. And so I just went at the first uh, 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 magazine shop around the corner to get inspiration. And I was really disappointed because all the magazines were just about how to uh, uh, design 300 square, square meters uh, in a cocoon way or uh, their uh, full marble decoration. So it was not speaking to me. And I said to myself, it's impossible that uh, there is no inspiration tool for, I think I, I'm not the only one in, the, in this case. So it's, it, to me, it was uh, incredible that there was no uh, inspiration tool for all this, these needs. And I went to Grégoire uh, telling uh, him uh, this, uh, this story or this insight. And because Grégoire was a bit bored of his uh, job in, in L'Oréal, because he just uh, broke up uh, with his uh, girlfriend, he wanted a fresh start. And he said, OK, let's do it. Let's uh, do this ID. Uh, yes, and, and we launched uh, Sloft. Wow, that's, that, sound, that sounds amazing. And, and what about you, Grégoire? Do you, do you enjoy design now? Because it's been a big change for you, uh, as, as Jeanne was just saying, the type of job. Are, are you enjoying? It's an interesting kind of a change for you, right? I've always had a, a, a keen interest in uh, uh, on fashion things or um, and on this and and in in the design uh, and all all of the, the design things. Um, I was not as uh, an expert as Jean was about architecture, but it's something I've always have uh, I've always had sorry an interest in. But I think the most interesting part, uh, I mean, to me, the most interesting part of the things we do is obviously the uh, entrepreneurial uh, aspect of it. Amazing. And and first, now a question. I'll go back to Jeanne here because I'm looking at issue two. Another thing I like about the magazine is the different types of flats. So, for example, this one of Emma and Raphael uh, in Paris, 
great one. I mean, giving me a lot of suggestions for my own flat. But then you have something a bit more eccentric, uh, Arthur Dreyfus as well, which is in Paris. And it's nice. So are you guys open to all sorts of flats? It can be a minimalist one, something a bit more crazy and it's kind of very colorful. I like that aspect. So you have lots of different types of small homes, right? Yes, because our main criteria is the size of homes. And so we go from uh, 15 square meters to around uh, 70 or 80 square meters just to give a kind of scale. But uh, within the scale, we, we are interested by everything which is creative. So we are uh, also interested by a minimalistic apartment, but also as the one you mentioned of uh, Arthur Dreyfus one, which is totally creative. It's a piece of art because he's a writer and he wanted to, to create a, a decor in his apartment, which was reflecting all his inspirations and also uh, all, all his friends' work. And so, yes, it's it's totally, uh, I don't know, it, it, it's non-conformist, uh, but it, it works. So every time it works, every time there is a very, very uh, strong uh, direction, we, 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 we publish it. And Grégoire, another interesting thing is the business aspect of Sloft. I'm very curious because even reading the magazine and looking at the website, you guys have a store and you do a lot of collaborations, which I find it fascinating because it's it, it kind of emerges so well with the print title. Tell us a bit more about this this side of Sloft as well. You're mentioning, you're talking about Sloft Original. Uh, so Sloft Originals, which, which is a, a collection we run on most of the printed magazine issues. Uh, we usually do collaborations with artists. We focus on the magazine. It's not a big uh, business. Um, I mean, it doesn't generate much revenue, but it's very interesting for us because it also helps us, you know, um, uh, develop uh, some kind of um, of a um, yeah partnerships with artists and designers, which we like very much. And we also develop, you know, very um, original and very uh, very authentic products so it's something we do uh we we like to do yes and and, and, and uh, um, I, I may add that because we're focused on uh, interior design in fact pieces of design original pieces of design are uh, totally uh, welcome in, in in interiors because they, they give them like more soul and and more personality so you know uh, uh, making this collaboration with artists uh, is also a way to support this artist who generally generally lives in in small spaces so that's funny because there is a link uh, with people working also in this uh, in this uh, in this uh, uh, little uh, homes and it's also a way to show people that an original piece of design is important in your own decoration Monaco's very own Marcus Hippie was in Beirut uh, last week. And of course, he did some interviews for the stack as well, including this one from Journal Safar, who is one of our favorite magazines from Lebanon. The biannual publication is released in Arabic and English and was founded in 2014 by Maya Mume and Hatem Iman. Marcus Hippie met Hatem in Beirut to discuss the publication, the Middle Eastern visual culture, and how much freedom magazines like this have in Lebanon. So Hatem, it's great to catch up. We're now sitting on, the, on, a, beaut- on a beautiful terrace of, of, of Studio Safar, and you've been showing me around your offices, and, and, and one of the reasons why we wanted to caught up with you is that you have done many 
amazing things. So shall we start by talking about one thing that is obviously of a lot of interest for for the stack? It's Journal Safara magazine you created already quite a few years ago. Do you want to tell us more about the concept of that publication? Basically, the when we started the studio, the design studio, we Maya and I were adamant on having a component of publishing and this was for essentially two main reasons one of them is because we wanted not only to work for commissioned clients but also to do our own research into visual culture and to actually publish around this topic because there is obviously a huge lack of literature on uh, design and visual culture in the region so tell me more about what you set out to achieve and what you've done so far you talk about this 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 criticism and, and those visual aspects, but what do they mean in practice? Essentially, you know, we studied graphic design here in Beirut, both of us, and we studied graphic design in textbooks that were written by North Americans or European uh, authors, and they were writing a particular kind of history of design. But the reality in the street, what we see, the signs around us, the books that we've read, you know, the television, the ads, the posters, all of this kind of, um, you know, like baggage of, of, of visual culture was something that was never in our textbooks. Uh, so we wanted to bridge this gap somehow. And how have you done it? What are some of the favorite things you've done so far? <laughs> I mean, we, when we started off, it was really an, a, quite an experiment for us. We were trying to understand how, you know, like, or to, to find a language with which we could actually speak about these things because, you know, we're, we were not design writers or, or researchers per se. But with time, we started finding our language and, you know, some of the most exciting pieces of writing that that came out in in the journal are the ones that spill out of only the design discipline that that has you know like impact or that has also readership uh, with people who are not necessarily designers or who are familiar with graphic design per se in issue five under the theme of migrations we talked about uh, migrant domestic workers who work under a, a terrible and unjust uh, system called kafala, which is compared to a kind of contemporary or modern age uh, slavery uh, for domestic workers who come to Lebanon and many other Arab countries and work under, you know, like terrible conditions. So this topic uh, was very important for us politically and socially, but also we were we were talking about it through the lens of visual culture. So so this is one of the very important, let's say topics or pieces that were um, covered in Journal Safar. You talk about visual culture and the kind of visual culture you didn't see in your textbooks and, and in the mainstream. Are we talking about some kind of a Lebanese visual culture in this case, or what is it that you wanted to showcase to the world? I mean, I'm not interested in nationalism or, you know, like talking about any particular or any kind of exceptionalism related to, let's say, Lebanon or any other country. What I'm basically talking about is, you know, like in every city of the world, there is a, you know, like particular uh, flavor. There's a particular set of, you know, or, or a particular language that is used and understood by people who live in that city. And this is something that, you know, like it's important to 
to look at. It's important to look at locality. It's important to look at community, you know, like to look at what people are using to communicate with each other, how you and your neighbor can understand something because you live on the same street, which, you know, like someone who lives in Paris will, will not necessarily understand. Now, where does the inspiration come from? I'm wondering what kind of meetings do you have in, in the beginning when you're designing a new edition of the magazine? It's actually quite, you know, like effervescent. It's so exciting to to work on this on this magazine. We sit together and, you know, like each one of us comes up with the ideas or the, the things that have caught their attention or that they've been thinking about. And we start developing these ideas together until we, you know, like reach a particular theme. And from there, we start thinking, you know, like, what could we talk about in relation to this theme? And this is how we kind of, like, test if the theme is versatile and robust enough for us to actually commit to it. And then, you know, like, each each person might suggest an author or, or a particular strand of research to, to look into. And this is how we develop, you know, like, the blueprint of the magazine. Do you have ideas for the next edition yet? We do. We have we have our theme already. <laughs> I'm not sure if I... <laughs> I, I A world premiere. <laughs> the theme of the next issue is tongues. and Tongues? Tongues, yeah. So, you know, like when thinking about like this kind of... Like when, when we say speaking in tongues, when we say tongue-tied, when we say, you know, like things that are related to translation, things that are related to... Uh, language, uh, but also the tongue as an organ of the body and the organ that you use in order to communicate and in order to make yourself heard, but also an organ that is sensual and that is sexual. So I think that tongues are quite loaded and we're looking at, you know, like a, a, a bunch of uh, different possibilities of thinking about the tongue. What have you learned about the art of um, creating magazines so far over the years? Was it natural? Was it easy in the beginning? Or were there some things you had to learn? No, no, it wasn't natural at all. I mean, it was it was always enjoyable, but th- there's a lot of things that you learn. I mean, because I'm trained as a graphic designer, so I kind of have, you know, like enough, let's say, experience with publications, how to deal with a publication, how to think about a publication, not only in terms of the content of this publication, but also in its form, you know, like as an object, as a texture, as a kind of binding, as, you know, like all of these things that have a lot of significance and also in relation to the readership, who am I addressing, etc. But working with magazines has taught me also a lot about how to think collaboratively with other people and how to seriously think of an audience in a different way than, let's say, a book would. You know, a book has a different kind of lifespan or a different kind of uh, circulation than, than a magazine, and particularly a magazine that is specialized in, you know, like in, in a particular subject such as ours. Do you think creating journals so far has also made business sense? Has it helped you to spread the word about your studio so far? I mean, at the beginning, and still until now, uh, Studio Safar is the is the one who funds the magazine. But over the years, the magazine has actually yes brought you know brought some a lot of uh, exposure of for our work and interest for our work. So yes, I would say that you know the magazine is paying the studio back somehow. And what is the studio busy with at the moment when we're doing this interview? What's in the pipeline? The studio is like. More and more with the years, we are uh, specializing, I would say, mainly in two fields. One of them is 
the communication, like exhibition design and communication design for, for art events and art exhibitions like biennials and, and the like, and also with communication strategies. So right now we are working on a major exhibition in South Africa and a bunch of communication strategies for, for cultural institutions. And remember that I am on sabbatical right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> How careful do you have to be when you think about those topics and, and all the things that are on the page? Is, is there something to, to steer away from? Of course, I mean, we were young and foolish and we published everything that we wanted to publish. We were almost, I mean, except maybe in very, very rare cases where we kind of censoring any of the work or refusing to publish things because for fear of, you know, like being punished. But we did actually publish in issue seven two comics that, you know, like we got in trouble for. We got, you know, like called in and questioned and then there was a case against us and this lasted, I think, maybe three or four years. I can't even remember. But we lost the case and we paid a huge fine, like the highest. We paid $30,000 as a fine for supposedly uh, insulting religion, which obviously, and, and enticing, you know, like religious uh, uh, strife or whatever. So this was, a, this was a huge blow, but happily, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that we actually survived this because of, you know, like the support of our network of artists and readers and, you know, like the comics community at large, we were able to actually survive and, you know, come back stronger. And now another interview from Marcus. It is nothing new that the Middle East is a problematic place when it comes to gay rights. Many of the countries have anti-LGBTQ laws, and in many others the topic is controversial at least. That's why one publication hailing from Lebanon deserves special attention. Cold Cuts is a photo journal that explores queer culture in the Southwest Asian and North African region on its pages. Monaco's Marcos Hippie met Mohamed Abduni, Cold Cuts editor-in-chief and creative director in Beirut. Cold Cuts today is a photo journal that explores queer cultures in the Swana region. Cold Cuts is a photo journal that kind of grows organically along with me in a certain way so whatever my interests are whatever my curiosities are end up being translated within cold cuts and that's why i say today it is a photo journal that explores queer cultures in the swana region what has it been like before then what has the evolution of cold cuts been like well when it comes to the first issue when we were first putting it together it was It was supposed to be just a fun project between myself and different collaborators and, and the artists that I had worked with in the past. And I just wanted to put together like like a fun, kind of free, in a sense, photo journal that kind of takes us all away from our commissions. And while working on that first issue, it very organically ended up being a sort of queer photo journal. And then from then on, it was a much more conscious decision with with the issues that came afterwards for it to be a photojournal that explores queer cultures in our region specifically. Just so that our listeners get an idea, they may not have seen the, seen the journal. What kind of things have you had on the page so far? What have been some of your favorite things you've done recently? 
<clears throat> well, it really depends. I think I have I have a very personal love and affinity to that first issue because it was it was um, much truer to the intention of Cold Cuts, which was kind of like no guides, no limits, no rules, just having fun. But also, I think the more we kind of centered things around themes, the more it also got interesting. So, for example, the latest issue focuses on trans histories in Lebanon throughout the civil war during the 80s and the 90s. So that in itself, for example, is something that is quite focused. It focuses on the stories of 10 women aged between their 30s and 50s today who shared their archives with us. So basically, this latest issue is more of a public archive uh, that we've put together. That is definitely one of my favorite issues so far. So it, whereas, for example, issue two is much more similar to issue one in a way where it's kind of a collection of different stories, different experiences from all around the world that still go back to people from the region. How did you create the interest in, in documenting what's happening in, in the queer culture in this region? What is the birth history of cold cuts in that sense? I think when it comes to that, it goes a little further back than cold cuts in a way where all of these interests, as you called them, actually stem from personal frustrations that I've had growing up. Frustrations about not necessarily being able to find any, although I hate that word, but representation of queerness within within Arab media. Uh, so what I had growing up in sense of things that I could relate to were always very Western. So I, what I could get my hands on growing up was something like watching episodes of Will and Grace or eventually being able to know about, find and watch Paris is Burning. But that was never really enough because there was only a certain level to which I could relate. And then it, that would stop and I would still feel kind of alienated in a way. And I guess it's this frustration that ended up building this work that I'm that I seem to always be pursuing as of late. So you are quite a multi-talent. You're a documentary maker and you've been directing many things and, and much, much more. What is, what is the role of Cold Cuts in all this? Is it a passion project or do you think it complements other things you do or is it even a source of income? Definitely not a source of income. Ludicrous to think of it as such, and definitely is a passion project. I guess the role Cold Cuts has, in a sense, for me personally, is to kind of act as a sort of platform where I can just combine all the different personal work, personal projects that I do that that are m- more often than not documentary projects, to kind of be able to combine them in this one, under this one umbrella. Obviously, we talk about a sensitive topic in the Middle East and in Lebanon. What kind of restrictions have you been facing? When it comes to cold cuts, I go about things a little differently just so that I avoid or preemptively avoid any uh, problems or restrictions I might have. But for example, one thing that was very important for me when we were working on issue one is for the issue itself to be printed in Beirut. And I wouldn't be able to necessarily explain why that was important to me. I, I mean, I, I'm sure there are a million reasons as to why, but I'm not incredibly sure what that what that main reason is. But it was just very important that I printed in Beirut. And so once the issue was done and ready for print, it took us about a year to be able to find a printer that was willing to print 
the issue and it was I, I mean in in hindsight it's a very funny year it's a very funny experience the little things that happened are in hindsight very funny tell me more I mean at the time it wasn't that funny because at the time it was a real struggle and it, it almost seemed impossible to print it here uh, to the point where I mean, if you want me to get into details, for example, printing was not really the problem. The problem was binding it. So most printers in the country do not bind in-house, and there is one main binder in the country. Printing it was not as much of a problem, but the different printers that I spoke to shared some concern that the binder had with binding cold cuts and I quote a voice note that I once received forwarded from one of my printer friends uh, to me from that binder that very briefly and so eloquently said I would never dirty my hands with such smut Mm. Uh, so that was a little difficult until we finally ended up finding a printing house that didn't necessarily bind in-house but that was willing to make that extra effort to bind in-house for us and yeah, but that took a while. I mean, it sounds like a very short story, but that took a while. That was a lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, going around printers that that would that would sometimes go like, of course, like w- we'd be more than happy to do that, but then get to the point where they need to bind it. So, so yeah, so it was funny. What else do you have to take into account considering the sensitivity of the topic? Do you have to think about what your team is maybe experiencing or what your interviewees or people you have photographed, what they may experience? It depends on every story or every issue. I mean, every issue or every story, every uh, little feature. But it's definitely always important to keep in mind and to always be very mindful of the safety of not only the team or the people that are conducting interviews or the photos, but more importantly, even the people that we are interviewing, the people that we are photographing. And that's something that takes up a very large bulk of time before we ever enter into a project. That is, for example, one of the main reasons why before going into the last issue, Treat Me Like Your Mother, we extensively sat with the NGO Halim to basically just be more educated as a team about the sensitivities around working with trans women who have lived through the civil war in Lebanon like that in itself that that time period that that work done with Helm that that the education process that we underwent being always reminded and aware and mindful of how important it is to and how to actually maintain the safety of these women and how to just make sure everything is being done in just such a safe setting that is even more important than the actual work itself That's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpnmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. You can always listen to the show again on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you from Lebanon. It's Soap Kills with Galbi. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Thank you for listening. Yeah.